on this film. Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward, here's the pass. Antonio's through, chance to fall, what a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikhail Antonio! Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown West Ham podcast. Joining me on the pod for our final show of the season. It's cold as Zanya hate myself 1999 for Jack Elderton and recognise, represent, reset and recap for a repertoire of Callum Goodall. Uh, that's, uh, that's James Acaster references uh, this week, folks, because we should always listen to James Acaster. Um, on this week's pod, it's, well, end of season. So we'll talk that, that brilliant last result away in Brighton that everyone really cared about, including every player on the team, it seemed. Um, the season in review, we'll talk about, look back at some of the things that happened, some of our memories, some of the kind of takes and ideas we've got from what we've got on, and a summer plans as well. A bit of a quicker one, talking about maybe what we've learned from the season and how that can bleed into what we should do in the summer. Um, hell of a game for you to watch twice then, Jack. Just uh, depressing, really, doing this again. It's quite, kind of soul-destroying. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've turned up twice, but none of the players turned up once. So, you know, it uh, doesn't feel quite fair, really. No, it just, uh, it's just a, a, a terrible, terrible performance, particularly in the second half. Um, lack of energy, lack of enthusiasm, lack of quality in possession, probably the most marked thing. Um real like a sort of crispness to the passes um not connecting with each other uh we tried a few new tactics tried a few different things um and none of that really seemed to come off either i do think that's somewhat distorted by the players generally not playing well um so it's difficult to get a good assessment of whether a new system works if if your team is is not functioning at its best in terms of you know their individual levels if they're well below those then it's difficult to assess a system but um difficult to watch again really and a hard one to to, to analyze properly because you're just sort of watching every you know even the most kind of um inconsequential phases of play and just thinking you're doing everything far too slowly or there's a lack of invention to what you're doing or um, particularly in the first half it was really tough to watch because Brighton were exactly the same so you're watching two teams just not connect simple passes and then not make any um, anything out of each other's sort of um, mistakes so it was uh, just a, a very poor football match and then the, the big change in it really being that Potter made some really positive changes at half time that, that rebalanced the game and give, gave Brighton some energy uh, brought on some players who obviously had something to prove and, and that really um, shifted the balance of the game Still is, is was it better than the idea of going to a random pub and assuming that West Ham Brighton on the last end of season when there's two games in a relegation fight that are one game that's on TV and one another going on and two games obviously going on side by side to decide the title. Would you expect to see West Ham Brighton on in a pub, Jack, if you were going around London? Not personally, no. Um, what would you expect, Cal? Would you have gone to the pub for that day and expected to see West Ham and Brighton on TV? Uh, in hindsight, no. But at the moment, yes. <laughs> you you uh, say it. I think... You say yeah, like, I put we too told much, you immediately. Yeah, <laughs> I put too much of a, a... Clearly, I was getting too caught up in the race for the Europa League and thought yeah. that everyone else was mainly focused on the sixth or seventh battle. But uh, yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a cock up on my part. But 
it, in a way, it seems like it kind of worked out well because I got to watch City and Liverpool on two separate screens, and that seemed to be by far the more in- exciting spectacle. So, um, I, yeah, I watched the match of the day highlights, and I think that was enough. And I, I won't be doing what Jack does every week and watching it back. Uh, sometimes I do, but given how terrible that game was, I, I'm not going to do that to myself. No, I think I think it was a bit of a blessing that there was something else to concentrate on during that game because it was kind of well. I mean, West Ham were offering us nothing, so at least. Um, You've got something there. I mean, I'd love to know what papers you're reading. So the back page, can West Ham be less bad than the awful Man United for sixth place? Um, <laughs> as, as speaking of, and we've, we've talked less away from the awful ideas that Cal has over a weekend. Um, and you talk about, you talk, Jack, about um, players and them being almost too bad to be able to judge the system. When, when I, I, as you can tell, I don't have many questions on the West Ham Brighton game itself. When can you tell that that's more of a player performance than a system problem is it more in execution of things with the ball and is it's easier to tell with the ball it's it's easier to tell straight away with the ball when when you're not connecting simple passes i mean particularly uh pablo fornals was was probably the worst offender but lanzini struggled at times as well jared bone was was pretty ineffectual and um in lots of different areas really i think he did a kind of a good job as as at playing that kind of wide striker role because we set up with a four triple two formation mm-hmm. something uh, we haven't seen that much of in the premier league really aside from hasenhutl and uh rangnick actually has, has introduced it a bit with with man united especially when he first got there um so we tried to do something like that and Bowen seemed to like that that sort of wide striker position to begin with but um, defensively really didn't seem to know what he was doing and, and similar with, with Fornals and Lanzini and so the, it's easier to tell with the ball because you, you're looking at players who are lacking quality in possession and, and you're turning the ball over far too too easily but but also um, out of possession markedly in the second half when people are not tracking runs that they obviously should be when people are allowing one-twos to go past them like it's nothing um you know that's not to do with with what system you're in or what shape you're in that's just a lack of um discipline awareness concentration um all of the things you need to be successful in any game at premier league level i'm trying to think of anything positive i can remember from the game there was a there was one bit of defending from Crespo at the back post that's such a basic bit of defending it shows how badly we played that that sticks out in my mind because all he did was shield a guy and then slightly knock it towards Fabianski who had to palm it away for a corner which yeah but I think that's a good moment to pick out really because I would say I mean I've watched 60 minutes of the game I haven't I haven't got through the last half an hour yet um good luck but um yeah cheers but uh he he probably stands out as the most um consistent performer in there in terms of there have been moments in the game where Rice has stood out as uh, has played really well but also there have been some really terrible moments from, from Rice uh, Suchek is well below his normal levels Lanzini Fornals Bowen Antonio all well below their normal levels uh, Soufal miles off his, his, his usual level um, Dawson has had some some positive moments defensively um, but has made some really big mistakes as well uh, Zuma's not really in the game and Fabianski's obviously made the mistake for, for the goal and Cresswell's the only person in there who you could say hasn't really done anything wrong mm-hmm. um, so far he's kind of just done the basic things defensively well um, and hasn't offered a huge amount on the ball but I'd say that him not offering so much on the ball comes a lot more from the system because, you know, a lot of what we've seen Cresswell do positively in a West Ham shirt this season has been more his build-up. And without a, a left winger ahead of him, he's being asked much more to get quite high up the pitch and contribute um, to stretching the pitch in the final third. And that's 
not really something I'd say Cresswell is is mm. best suited to. Um, but yeah, but it's it's. I'm glad you picked it out because I'd probably say that so far, 60 minutes into the game, he's the only person I'd pick out and say, yeah, just sort of a decent six out of ten, kind of what you'd expect performance. Now, I thought he he did the. It's one of those plays you kind of trust always be putting in an effort. I don't know if that's because he's slightly more limited than the others, so he has to, I guess. I don't know if he's just at that level of professionalism and experience. Whatever. I mean, there was like other things that like I thought Soufal didn't play well, but had a, had a skip in his step and more pace than he had at the start of the season, which Agreed. at least showed recovery. And I thought he actually had some confidence to take on his man, which I don't think I'd seen him do at all in the first half of the season. He, it didn't work, but he at least tried. <laughs> um, Rice picked up the odd good defensive position. But- well, I think we were just, I mean, particularly in that first yeah. half, we were just punting the ball out to Soufal on the, on the right flank. It seemed to be the only thing we yes. could do in that, in that, in that shape. And it, it, it I think obviously I've talked now about about player performance and individuals not really being at the levels you'd expect. I think a couple of things that are worth saying uh, uh, systemically, you know, away from that, although I've said it's difficult to judge because of the players not being at their levels, I don't think you really give them their the greatest chance when you ask them to play in a system they've got no familiarity with. Um, you know, it's the last game of the season, real opportunity to finish sixth. It seemed quite odd to me to to try a, a completely new system and, and to play players in positions that they haven't played before. I mean, um, Lanzini and Fornals are, are both somewhat familiar with playing um, sort of out as outside tens, but in a three at the back formation where they can sit slightly higher, not in a system where there's a four and they're having to cover different spaces. Um, Bowen has very little experience of playing in that wide striker role. Antonio, we've seen very little of a two up front this season. So, so trying that is, is, well, seemed strange to me. And then Rice and Suchek having to cover that kind of wide space and then like leaving Zuma and Dawson in situations where they have to commit out of the back line a little bit more because you've got a Rice pulled out into sort of the left midfield position to cover Cresswell from being in a 2v1 or Suchek pulled out into the right midfield position to cover Sufal being exposed to a 2v1 means that it's quite easy for, and you see it in the second half a lot with Mope to step out into the sort of a number 10 space between the, the, the lines. And then you're asking a Dawson or a Zuma to step out more aggressively. And genuine, generally, when you look at our defensive structure, we prefer those players to drop off and, and defend crosses. And, and that's because you've got a Rice in, in that, in that six space and a Suchek in that six space tight to the, to the two defenders. Um, making sure that no one can receive and turn in central areas um, or receive and play a pass into the box from, from central areas. And, um, and we didn't really have any of that. So I do think it's, uh, it was a strange decision to, 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 to make such wholesale changes to the tactics um, at such an important stage of the season, final game with an opportunity to qualify for the Europa League. It's interesting because you've, what sounds like is you've just going to list of things that I don't think those players are particularly strong at. And it sounds like that was their, almost all their jobs for the game was kind of <laughs> uncomfortable things they don't, they're not good at that I know they're not particularly at their strong point at. So it's an interesting, interesting, it's a polite word, I think. <laughs> I can see the rationale behind it because you, you, you want to pin, I mean, if you're looking at Brighton and what they've done really well recently, Kukure is a big part of that. So keeping him pinned deep is, is really important. And I can see why the system would help you to do that. Um, you know, committing the fullbacks high uh, uh, and playing such an offensive um, system would 
potentially force Brighton to stay very deep and, and force them to play on the counter, not something I would pick out as being a particular strong point of the way Brighton play. Mm. Um, and I can see how elements of that worked in the first half because Brighton were so poor, even though we didn't do a very good job of playing the system we played. Brighton couldn't really get going themselves, couldn't really get Kukurea into the areas they usually would want him in um, and, and couldn't build as successfully as they as they normally could. And we forced their midfield to to be quite uncomfortable, really. Pascal Gross particularly struggled in, in that first half as a result of, of the way in which we played. I, th- I think in part how we played, but also in part just Brighton having their own malaise, really. Um, and, and also I can see how it, there's a logic behind it in terms of Bowen and Antonio and both being suited to kind of being half striker, half winger, uh, and, and also getting the best out of Soufal, who, who can offer a little bit more offensively. Um, and also potentially getting something out of Suchek because that, that system allows him to hit the box, um, off of, off of Sufal crosses a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, we didn't show a huge commitment to it. We were quite happy to flip flop between a four triple two and a four two three one and at times a four three three as well. And it, we never looked particularly comfortable, to be honest with you. And I think lastly, I'd say on, on this game, I hinted at it earlier about Potter and the changes he made and, and Mope comes on at half time and they move to a to a three one four two and it's worth picking out Mope in particular for his job between the lines and how that really um affected the way we were playing and, and brought Brighton back into the game and gave them some sort of dominance um over the game in the second half. But also really worth picking out um Alexis McAllister, who, who started as a, as a 10 or as a, was a wide 10 playing just off of, uh, Welbeck certainly was, was, was the player closest to Welbeck through, through most of the first half. Played quite well, but struggled to get into the game. Um, and Eve Basuma had a terrible first half, was subbed off at half time. And, um, McAllister just went from playing just off Welbeck to dropping all the way into a, into a holding midfield role where he was really, really, really good. Um, and was able to distribute from deep, but also was winning all of his duels with uh, Lanzini, Fornells, Suchek, Rice. And he's a small guy. So it's an impressive job f- from him. And that that definitely gave them a lot more out of Pascal Gross, who's a fantastic player in and around the box, but not necessarily brilliant um, elsewhere. So it allowed him to, to get a lot higher um, and, 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 and Kukurea got higher. And it just gave them that kind of suffocating control that you can sometimes see with Brighton where they start to look like a really good side. So impressive from Potter to to make those changes at, at halftime and to completely shift the balance of the game positively. Very good young coach. Um, ugly game, Cal? Got any ugly numbers for me? <laughs> yeah, I have actually. Um, like Jack was saying it's easy to see who's having a get bad game when they're on the ball and those ones that aren't glaringly obvious, that's what the data is there for and it, it really just hammers home the point that he's already made about um, for Nows uh, and Suchek in particular, um, some significant drop-offs in areas where you'd consider them to be strengths, really. I think um, the most obvious one for me was uh, for Nows uh, in terms of his distribution and particularly his pass into the penalty area. So on average, I think he averages 3.2 attempts per game with a success rate of about 60%. Um, Against Brighton, he averaged 12 passes to the penalty area, which you think if he's, if he's popping 60%, that's eight chances of someone receiving the ball in the box, which is great. Um, but he only managed to connect four, so a 30% drop off, um, in terms of his final third distribution, which is, is pretty abysmal, really. And then Suchek as well was just across the board. I mean, 
just terrible, really. I think probably one of the worst games I've seen from him uh, this season. He's got a lot of flack this season, I think, at times. Uh, unduly, I don't think he's deserved it every time, but I think against Brighton, he was particularly bad. Um, his passing went down 20% to 64% um, from 84, rather. Um, and then the one thing, again, um, that you'd associate with him being very good at is aerially. And I think this stood out quite a lot throughout the game. Um, he wasn't actually at fault, in my opinion, for the Welbeck goal, but it does come to mind when you concede in aerial goals against Danny Welbeck when you've got the, the towers that we have on the pitch. Um, but yeah, to only win 36% of his 11 aerial duels is pretty unheard of from Suchek. And then um, also just winning 29% of his defensive duels, which... I mean, you can't have a midfielder in, in a two-man midfield that's only winning less than one in three of his defensive duels. Um, it's just, yeah, it's poor. I think the the Welbeck goal was particularly frustrating because it was just such a just terrible all round. I mean, as a team, I think we ranked fifth this across the whole season in terms of limiting threat from set pieces. Uh, so expected goals against on set pieces. Mm. Uh, we're in pretty good company with City and Liverpool up there. Um, so to to just completely lose all concentration um, and just give away a goal uh, so so simply was was really disappointing. And I think given the moment in the game as well that it occurred, you can only assume that the, the players seem to have, I don't want to say given up because throughout the season they've worked their socks off, but it did kind of seem that, that the chance of sixth place had slipped away and they kind of felt like, well, what's the point? It's, no one seemed to be switched on. It would have been a fairly easy head to win. But um, yeah, just a disappointing end to what has been a pretty pretty good season, really. It was, I was, I mean, I think there was a Webster or someone like that chance within the kind of last 10 minutes beforehand, he'd had a free header on goal. Welbeck had missed a pretty easy header around the six-yard mm. box as well before that. It was kind of, Uncharacteristic. It was an uncharacteristic game for West Ham, actually, yeah. kind of across the board, really, wasn't it? Um, I think the for, just quickly on the formation thing, it came to my mind while while Jack was mentioning it as well. I just it's very quick, but just thought it was funny that uh, it, I, I agree it was very random to experiment with what is notoriously quite a difficult formation to execute. Anyway, the four triple two is is very rarely done, and the two teams that we've seen try to uh, use it this season have both fared pretty terribly. I mean, Southampton have had a really awful season, um, very hit and miss, and United obviously have been United. Um, and I think especially given that just two weeks before, I think Brighton put four goals past United, uh, who'd been playing the system that we attempted to play against them. So just thought it was a bit of a bizarre decision. Um, it felt like a bit of an experiment, almost like an audition at times, because like you say, he was using players in positions and asking them to do things that like you've already pointed out aren't their biggest strengths so it, it seemed like a, oh can you do this and then if you can't in the summer we'll have a think about uh what your utility is going on but yeah that's uh it from me on brian game i said but one question before we move on inside or outside the area antonio's goal to me he's inside the area i think feet on the ball on the line yeah I think the ball's on the line, so um, and the line counts as in, so I'd say he's in the area. But I don't know. I mean, has Opta has Opta given us a conclusion to that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, people. There'll be there'll be a lot of gamblers who will be very very furious for the form of Opta. I don't think they paid out. <laughs> I don't think they paid out for outside of the box. I'm pretty sure I saw people tweet. Okay, That's, there you go. That's <laughs> where the money goes. Um, right. Well, I, I can't really listen to Jack's tone of voice being that sad anymore. So let's move away from Brian. Gay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as much as anything, it's the misery emanating from the microphone. Let's just move on. Sorry, um, let's, go, let's go back to when things were nice and we had happy memories of a, a successful West Ham team. I mean, 
a season's been excellent, really, hasn't it? It feels it feels like it's ended on a quite a, a sour, kind of damp squib, kind of sour note with the getting knocked out of a tournament that felt like we probably could have gone on to the final and won and then just flopping on the last day. But a lot of reasons to be cheerful in that. Yeah, I think for me, it's just the best season I've ever experienced in my lifetime by far um, in terms of memories made and, and sort of occasions that we've been able to witness uh, both on the telly and in person. I mean, the, the obvious one that comes to mind is that second leg against Sevilla. The fact that we were able to be there and experience that is, is something that I'll never forget. And I think, yes, it's been a bit of a disappointing stumble towards the finish line. But ultimately, if you look at the season on the whole, I, I, it was, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> The first half of the season, particularly in the Premier League, was really strong. I think the, the League Cup run was really impressive. Um, I think it was a little bit disappointing to go out in the way we did against Spurs. I think um, a little bit disappointing as well to go out at the FA Cup against Southampton with a really good performance in in that game for long stretches. I think they, they did a really good job against us on the counter. But um, and, and the Europa League run was sensational. I just think I'm a little bit... The prevailing feeling now, which I think a lot of fans will connect with, is a sense of frustration that caution maybe has come out on top in key moments mm-hmm. um, where you feel like maybe if we'd gone for it a little bit more against Frankfurt, we might have been able to get to a European final. Maybe if we'd um, been a little bit more proactive against Brighton, we might have been able to get a result that resecured Europa League. And that's just stuck in my head at the moment. But across the whole season, it's definitely fair to say that this has been the strongest season in my lifetime as a West Ham fan with some of the best memories that, I, that I'll ever probably have as a West Ham fan. It's interesting, isn't it? If, you, if you've kind of listed them there, and I hadn't really thought about it before, but every one of those competitions properly there's a lingering regret in every one of them, isn't there? I think that's my that's what I'm saying. That's my main yeah. feeling is that in going out of all the competitions and the way we did. And if you look at Brighton as kind of the way we, we, we ended up missing the target for the season, um, you, you know, that the, the Spurs game in the league cup, Southampton in the FA cup, Frankfurt in the Europa league and Brighton in the premier league is all as real opportunities. I think, um, that we just sort of failed, um, to, to grab particularly, um, the two games against Frankfurt who, you know, obviously went on to win the Europa League, but I don't think individually are anywhere near as strong a side as us. Um, so some, some some frustrations, definitely, with the way that we um, we fell out of the competitions um, we were in, but brilliant to get as far as we did in so many of them, for sure. Fortune's always hiding, I've heard it said. <laughs> um, before yeah. I, I go on to some of the kind of more, what can we improve and, and the kind of questions that will make me look like a miserable man because I'm asking about negatives rather than positives. I mean, what, what are your kind of standout memories of the season and the kind of beyond severe at home as well? Uh, Leon away, even though I wasn't there, still sticks out. Like, I, obviously, I wasn't able to get out there, but um, even just watching that in the pub and uh, it was another game where I... W- I didn't go into it feeling massively confident, but obviously Jack and myself had previewed it beforehand and we kind of said what we need to do and how we're still in it and how we can come away and get through to the next round. And to see it not only pan out, but just the tactics just employed so perfectly and we just blew them away, uh, quite frankly. Um, that sort of sense of euphoria afterwards was 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 great and another one that will really stick in my mind. Um, and against Leon as well, it's not... There's, um, yeah, not many bigger French clubs historically as well. So I think just gen- more generally speaking, sort of the 
the year, the experience of being in the Europa League and sort of matching up against these sort of historic big teams like Lyon and Frankfurt and stuff, just having that opportunity to sort of play against teams that we hadn't really seen us match up against before um, was, was really enjoyable. What about you, Jack? Other, I mean, is there things that stand out really strongly other than Europe? Or do you think Europe so overwhelmingly defines our season? No, I, I think the performances against Liverpool and Man City were some of my most positive uh, memories of the season. I think obviously it's frustrating to end up drawing with Man City, but I came away from both those games thinking uh, we're in a really, really good place here. We've got a really great squad, a good group of players, a, a clear idea of how we want to, to play against teams that are, are individually stronger than us. Yeah. Um, and, and we've got a system um, and an understanding of that system that can get results in, in, in these games. And that those for me were two really, really high points. Um, yeah. And the, and the other thing I'd add to, to that is um, the, the win away against Dinamo Zagreb, because it was right at the start of the tournament and we weren't, I really wasn't sure how we would play in, in Europe, whether we would be um, at the level or, or what kind of teams we would send out, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we went there and, and the rice goal for me was a real high point of that sort of first half of the season, because it was just, that the sense of euphoria um, attached to, to such a strong away performance in the Europa League, but then also the sense of euphoria of, oh my God, we have a serious player at, at yeah. the club um, was, was brilliant because it's such a fantastic individual goal um, for him. So some, some, some great high points, definitely. Well, I've done the positivity, you know, I'm uncomfortable with that anyway. So let's just, uh, <laughs> let's, let's just dig in. Um, I, I mentioned when we were talking earlier, like pre-production, all that, all that jazz. Um, results after European fixtures and kind of the, the struggles maybe we could have had after that. I, I, I don't think it's been as pronounced as I assumed it would be, but I think there has been a drop-off. Um, and basically, Cal, I'm, I'm looking for you to either prove me an idiot or prove me correct. Uh, I can prove you correct i'd say i think no so I, I had a look at this uh beforehand just trying to work out um whether or not there was any truth behind it i think we all certainly felt that there there was and even before going into the season everyone always says about the you need to be aware of the thursday night fixtures etc um so I, I thought i'd just get down to it and have a look um i sort of looked at all the fixtures that happened uh, after the European Games. So there was 12 of them um, that we featured in. And across those 12 games, we won four and drew two. So we picked up 14 points out of a possible 30... My maths has gone terrible. 36, is that? (laughs) I think. Um, Which obviously isn't great. Uh, There's 22 points dropped. Um, And then I thought, well... What does this mean in, in the context of uh, the other teams in the league? How did we compare in terms of performance? Um, so when I put it up against all the other teams that featured in European competitions throughout the course of the season, uh, so obviously City, Chelsea, Liverpool, United, Leicester, Spurs and us, uh, of those seven teams uh, in those fixtures, we uh, accrued the least amount of points. So we had 14 points. Um, I think the next best was Spurs with 16.8 and then 17 for Leicester, all the way up to City with 26.4 so obviously it's perhaps not that surprising because we've all talked at length throughout the season about squad depth compared to these other European teams and how because we've kind of just arrived on the scene as a sort of top six contender top seven top eight contender very quickly we haven't sort of had the time to like build a squad that's that's fit for 
fighting on all fronts, um, particularly given that we had fairly positive runs in both the domestic cup competitions as well. Um, our schedule was probably a lot more packed than we would have ever anticipated um, and compared to even to Leicester, actually, although they got plagued with injuries. Um, at least they've had a few seasons to sort of, a few transfer windows to bring in players knowing that they're preparing for these European uh, nights. Um, and I think hopefully that's something we'll see over this summer. Uh, and then I just thought, why not just go the whole hog? We'll, we'll chuck all 20 Premier League teams in there uh, just to see where we would have come if the season was based solely on games that happened after the Europa League, uh, just, just to please my statistical uh, part of my brain. And I am happy to announce that we would have finished twelfth. Uh, so not great, but not the relegation level that I think my doom laden brain was anticipating. So it wasn't as bad as I thought. Um, but when you put it in comparison to the European teams, which is probably the most accurate and um, most convincing comparison, it does show that we are still a little bit of a way off um, if we're going to keep knocking on that door. Cal, how did you just for people who might be interested? How did you? Because obviously you came out with decimal points for the for the number of uh, points accrued in those fixtures. Yeah. Uh, it might be worth explaining how you calculated it because there might be some people going, "Why is why why is it not come out as?" Um... Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So um, obviously, for some of the teams, uh, it was a bit of a tricky one because eventually what I had to do was come up with a points per game average. But obviously, in some of those game weeks, for various reasons, be it COVID, be it some teams progressing further in the domestic cups than others, not every team played on the same game week. So uh, when I then was coming up with it, it wouldn't have been fair to then put that game week's result in because it didn't actually fall after a European fixture because it was rescheduled to a different point of the season. So in those instances, I think the obvious ones are obviously City, uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, who missed. I think there was two occasions where they didn't play on the same uh, game week that we played after European night because of the FA Cup, presumably. So I just put that as an NA and then rather than dividing it by 12 to get the points per game, just divide it by 10 and then times that points per game average by the full 12 games to work out, in theory, how many points each team would have accrued over a 12-week period. Um, and that's where we came out last, out of the seven. <laughs> that sounds like a fun afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was pretty bored. <laughs> busy, busy day at work. The things I do for this podcast, eh? The things yeah. I do for this podcast. I mean, I was going to move from there and talk about uh, the kind of points tallies in the um, fixture-heavy parts of the season. I know we didn't do great last year in that kind of thing. I'm looking at November 20th through to about, through to the game on January 1st. We've won three games in the league two of those were the 28th and the 1st of January that's away at Watford and away at Palace so in December we've beat Chelsea in the league but drawn at Brighton drawn with Brighton even drawn away at Burnley lost to Arsenal lost to Spurs lost at home to Southampton and I think we had a we had a pretty poor December last year Jack we generally have poor Decembers it's, it's a running theme is that for a long while now is that now is that a squad depth thing? Do you think that is that the remaining the problem from last year almost being the problem from the same as this year in that respect? I think that's the the, the, the most sensible conclusion is that um, we have very little rotation options in in that in that period, and obviously it's a real um, crammed uh, fixture list. So not being able to rotate will absolutely have an effect on your energy levels throughout that period. And I think we've seen this season actually that there are players that just can't cope. Um, with that, I mean, they can. I mean, like someone like Mikel Antonio, his fitness held up, but actually his performance levels dropped so far um, when he was playing um, three games in seven days um, that 
it, it, it wasn't particularly sustainable, even though, yeah, he can play the game. You'd probably prefer having someone else who can come in just because his level was so bad in, in a lot of those games. Or it, sometimes you'd see him do, you'd get 30 minutes out of him in, in a game like that where he's, where he's at a decent level and then you get the last hour where he's barely having a, an impact. So, um, yeah, I think pr- probably squad depth is the most, most obvious thing you can point to. Also, also perhaps, a, um, I mean, I think we've been better, be- better this season in, in this way, but perhaps a slight lack of flexibility. You're playing so regularly, it'd be quite, probably, quite good to freshen things up from a from a systemic perspective as well and and um and we haven't really had that that option so much under under Moyes I think initially that first season we had the three at the back system and then the 4-2-3-1 and and this season we've had sort of 4-2-3-1 played in two different ways and a three at the back system that hasn't really worked uh so I think we do want to try, try and recapture some kind of systemic flexibility because it can be good to to change what you're doing slightly in those periods I've got to say that's that's fantastically teed me up to where I was going to next. Uh, I don't know if there's any more on that. I was going to kind of ask about changing style this season. Obviously, that's system style and you talk about systemic. I mean, was there, there was notable changes in kind of less of the counter-attack, less of the three at the back system. Was there anything else you really noticed about whether it's an evolution of what we're doing or just a change of approach and ideas? Anything that's that stands a- out? That's the dominant one. I think I, a lot of the time with these things, you look more, the, the best way to look at it is probably more more to look at what other teams are doing against you and therefore what that's forcing you to do. And I think one of the things we picked out pretty early in the season was was that we're really struggling now to to be able to free um, Cresswell or Sufal in more space to cross. Um, and that's something that was a big feature of our play um, last season. Um and and had to become less of a uh, less of a big feature of our play this season just because we couldn't create the same space uh, for the two of them. I mean, the two of them got so many assists um, the, the the season before that I think generally you had the teams we were coming up against just you know communicating to their players you need to be very aggressive against these two fullbacks when they're in in space to to cross. So we haven't had so much of that this season. I think we've seen. Um, more, you know, more coming out of players like Bowen and, and a slight change in, in the way that we've played, which again has been dictated by um, teams being quite happy to sit off against us, knowing that we're really dangerous in transition. So if you can minimise um, the number of transitions that we can force then uh, and force us to try and break down a low block, then that's generally something we struggled with last season. And then more teams have tried that against us um, this season. So those have then enforced certain tactical um, changes or certain systemic changes or changes in approach that, that we've then had to adopt in order to try and break down what the opposition are doing against us and I think one of the big things that we need to look towards is definitely uh, have a bit of a review of of, of first of all something that you know, I've called for a couple of times this season we need to review what we do when we play the back three because I don't think it's been particularly good um, this season I think you know Masterwalk has obviously lost um, the manager's trust really this season and I think actually when you look back at the season beforehand he had a really strong individual performance when we were playing the back three and was a real key player um, for us in in the back three and without him it hasn't really functioned so well we've used Pablo Fornals as a left wing back and I'm not really sure that that experiment has been a great success Um, and and then secondarily I think we also need to have a bit of a review of, of how we look to set up and beat teams certainly in the sort of bottom eight area of the league bottom seven eight because I don't think we've been quite as successful 
at that as we should have, um, as, as we could have been. Um, and I think partly, I mean, we talked about it in previous episodes to this one, but we've often looked better in terms of controlling games against those teams when we've used Lanzini um, in the pivot alongside Rice. Uh, but the problem is, is when we've done that then against teams that have a real strength in transition when they're playing that low block leads are a good example. I think I'm not sure whether we did it against Southampton, but Southampton would be another good example of a, of a team that would probably um, make us look quite foolish when doing that. So I think that's something to address through recruitment, but also through looking tactically at how we approach those games. I suppose that well, I've thinking about it. We got what zero points from Brentford, two points from Burnley, and I mean I don't they don't play exactly the same style at all. But there's a, there's a rudimentary element to it that we've obviously struggled with. Is there anything you've seen, Cal, any, in, in terms of change, what you've noticed or anything coming up in the numbers? I know that. Um, not masses that Jack hasn't mentioned, but just uh, that's confirmed by the numbers, really. Um, so compared to last season, uh, our number of counter-attacks have gone down and our number of positional attacks has gone up, which just reflects the fact that teams are happy to sort of sit back Ex- a bit deeper. And Explain positional attacks quickly for me. So non-counter attacks, basically, but attacks where we have to build up the play in front of their defence rather than getting in behind uh, is, would be the simplest way to explain it. Um, and that's, yeah, something that we struggled with. And like, like we've said, something we're definitely going to have to look at uh, in terms of recruitment and finding a central midfielder or a 10 who can kind of pick those passes um, and uh, like play balls at more difficult angles rather than just knocking it side to side and trying to find a hole. Um, And then the crossing uh, actually was in terms of frequency, pretty similar, but um, in terms of accuracy, about an 8% drop off, which over the course of the season is quite substantial Uh, in one game. You could, think okay maybe it's just a poor matchup against an opposition who are, are well suited to defending that but over the course of an entire season that's quite marked and I think it's it's probably um, because obviously we we exploited that to such great effect in the season before uh, teams now aren't necessarily as scared to let us get into those positions but I think particularly on the left side we know well if we know the opposition definitely know that Cresswell is not the type to make a first time cross so they know that if they let him get there they're going to have enough time to get over and I I don't have a number for it but it'd be interesting to see quite how what percentage of crosses of Cresswell's are blocked because it seems that often the fullback that's defending him is pacier so it doesn't take him long to get in front of it and it's quite predictable that the ball's going to go into that box so I would expect that that's part of the reason why the uh, frequency's gone down, and then obviously the, also the fact that Sufal was missing for um, various intervals of the season, and we had to play Johnson, who for all, all his strengths isn't as um, much of an attacking option in the final third, and tends not to whip it into bo- to the box quite so frequently. Although his accuracy is, is actually surprisingly good, um, but I feel like it's. Uh, hits and misses some games he has like one cross and gets 100% accuracy but then other games he'll have five and only land one so it's not maybe the best um, reflection um, but other than that no not a lot I think the only other thing would be that I think uh, the lack of tactical flexibility has is in extra uh, is linked sorry to um the, the squad situation in the sense that I think Moyes would like to be able to play these systems particularly the three which we've seen him try but I think in terms of particularly the three at the back system playing four nows there it just for me doesn't work I think 
Masuaku is good in the sense that he can stretch an opposition because he's got that left foot and he can hug the byline. Someone like Fournals when he's playing in the left wing back, if he's got another forward ahead of him like Benarama, who's also right footed, who's going to be cutting inside ahead of him, you then need an overlapping threat. But if you've got two players on the left that are both trying to cut inside, that's a whole third of the pitch that you're not exploiting. We we Um, don't hit the byline on the left. We don't really have any players. Benarama very rarely will drive to the byline. Cresswell doesn't, I mean, he wasn't a great overlapper anyway, but it feels like he does less and less. I think that's it. He's less mobile, obviously, as the seasons go by. Um, He's still crucial in terms of progressing the ball into those positions, but he's not the guy that you want crossing it. And then having no left-footed wingers that like to play on the left side, I mean, for now it's Benarama and Vlasic, even though I'll confirm he's not a winger, but that's a different point. Uh, But all three of those are right-footed and prefer to cut inside and drive towards the penalty box rather than go out there and make a cross into Antonio. And often it's Antonio that we see out there who can cross a ball from the left side. But then there's obviously all the problems of then who's occupying those spaces in the middle of the box. So I think the squad just clearly needs refreshing anyway, but I think a bit more of a tailored squad that sort of, there seems to be some imbalances in certain positions of the squad and, and lacks of depth in other positions. So just sort of balancing that out over the summer will be essential, I think. It's, it's interesting you mentioned the kind of things that Moyes would like to do and maybe he's unable to do. And it's certainly... If I if I think back to Chelsea, but even in that Brighton game, he's obviously shown some tactical flexibility. If you were rating Moyes' season, what kind of season do you think he's had? Is his other? I mean, obviously finishing very well, but how would you rate his his year? Um, on the whole, I think it's been a success again. Obviously, like you just said, but um, I think. I mean, I, I spoke about it earlier. I think there's there's been some moments where caution has prevailed where it perhaps shouldn't have. I think. Really, if I'm looking at the season as a whole, I'm looking at the period sort of after Lanzini came in, didn't he, in in the Palace game, I think. But that's when I can really think of Lanzini coming back and making a really big impact. Um, And we've kind of become more and more wedded to Lanzini as a player in the first team since then. And if I'm looking at the season since that moment... I can't really say that I've been too confident that we've been at our best, certainly in the Premier League um, since then. I think we've, since that game, we had a pretty unconvincing 1-0 win over Watford. We moved to a back three and played very well against Wolves in another win. Uh, 2-1 win over Aston Villa, where Yarmolenko's second half performance was exceptional and was a big driving force behind uh, that win. A a 2-1 win over an Everton side that played absolutely terribly and still nearly (laughs) got a result. Um, And a 4-0 win over Norwich. and, And those are, all of the wins in the Premier League since January. Mm. Um, does that does that mean you would have preferred a return to the Ben? Because Ben Rama started the season, started the season quite well. Is would you have gone back to that because it's less cautious and maybe has risk reward? Or not really. I, I just I, I think we I think it, what what we struggled with really is I think we we in that mid season period we we looked a little bit stale. Um, and, and we were struggling to find ways to break teams down. I think we were doing a brilliant job of our of our quick transitions. I don't think we were really getting the ball into the box very successfully. There was, I think, I remember writing about it after the, the draw against Newcastle. It was just like we are just trying to cross mm. constantly, and it's not giving us anything. Um, and I think we've we've over that period transitioned into a little bit more of a sort of possession comfortable. It's a bit of a weird phrase, but I'm mm. not totally keen on saying possession dominant because we're not there yet. Um, But possession comfortable kind of, kind of team. But 
um, if I was to kind of step back from from the, uh, about as far back as I could get and, and and an overall overview of that, I'd kind of say that's not really been a great success in terms of getting the results we need. If you're looking at the real high points, even within the second half of the season, you're looking at Leon playing on the counter attack. You're looking at um, Sevilla at home, where you're looking much more at kind of making the best of a, of that four two three one system, and it's Suchek who, who scores, and um, it, it's 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 those European nights where we played sort of uh, and again uh, City as well as a, as a moment that stands out where we played really low block and, and on, on the counter um, so I think I mean I, I put a tweet up um, about this um, the other day just saying I, I think where we've arrived is is almost that players like uh, Suchek, Antonio, um, Cresswell all have quite big limitations uh, within their games, but are exceptional at certain things. Um, Suchek, brilliant in the air. Cresswell, one of the most progressive fullbacks in the world. Antonio, one of just the most difficult uh, strikers to handle, but not necessarily one of the best finishers. And I think now what you're seeing on the other side of, uh, of teams perhaps being a little bit more cautious against us and dropping off and saying, OK, West Ham are really good that those limitations that those players have are now stopping us from progressing beyond the point that they've got us to. I think you're seeing Cresswell being exposed transitions the other way because teams mm. are maybe deeper against us and then countering. And then that doesn't really um, suit Cresswell. It exposes him where he's very good as a low block uh, left back. And then someone who's going to transition forward and hit across arriving late into an attack. Uh, Suchek as well, someone who's not really thrives um, because his passing is, ex- uh, ex- is exposed as one of his weak areas when we're on the ball. And Antonio, um, his finishing has become something that's become more of a problem in the, in the second half of the season because he's going to get less chances yeah. um, when we're having to dominate the game and you can need to make the most of those chances when they come and he's not a, a brilliant finisher. So from that perspective, it's a really difficult thing for Moyes because you've got to find a new way to harness your, your squad positively and to keep us challenging at that level. And I think you see his frustration towards the end of the season with where he's at Um in that kind of rant that he had after the Brighton game saying, if we're, if we're going to play at this level, we're not going to be competing for Europe. We're going to be competing against relegation again. And I think it does take now, although yes, on the whole, it's been a positive season. We need, it needs a sort of wholesale review of what we want to do next season, not kind of be trapped between one thing or the other. I think we need to set out a clear plan A, plan B kind of thing and look at recruitment and say, um, how can we improve the squad in these areas to make sure that we're still very good at counterattacking when we need to be and playing that low block, but become a much, much better side um, when when we've got more of the ball? Well, I suppose that leads us on to kind of transfer talk. And it's a very, very interesting summer. I was thinking the other day, you could quite easily have a, a, a standstill window, as I kind of like to call it, where you do enough that actually you just keep your level to some extent where you could do that and have to sign about five players because we've got obviously quite a few departing players to go. You've also got people all complaining that we've got a small squad and our squad options maybe haven't been good enough that will want them replacing. Whilst maybe also if you talk about that kind of progression of style, you might need to make quite big changes in the first team if you want to really push on. Where, where, where would you go with the summer? Would you be looking to make a big deal and go hard for the big push? Or would you be worried about the stability of that? And would you try and make, is there a middle ground between just keeping refreshing, but actually also pushing on maybe 10%? I want us to consolidate. 
over the course of this window and next season. I'm not. I don't want us to, to try and make some big leap towards the top six. Um, I, I think what we, what you need to look at now in terms of the overall health of the club, it's a bit disappointing in a way, really, because if we if we'd made that, there was perhaps an opportunity to make the leap this season if we'd invested heavily in January, um, which we could have done. There was a uh, a chance that maybe you're looking at, at potentially winning something like the Europa League and, and potentially also pushing um, for that top four um, spot or at least um, comfortably sitting in, in sixth um, because uh, over the course of the season, we've been a much better team than Man United and it's really that lack of rotation that's that's cost us or lack of um, impact off the bench, even in the in the games against Man United. It's two late goals from substitutes that, that won them those games where they, I don't think they deserve to win either of them. Um, but so I, I'm not keen now off the back of that because, uh, because we haven't made that big leap because we haven't won a European tournament. Now I think it's much more about consolidating. I don't think it would be wise to look at the squad and say, okay, you've got Rice, Bowen, Fornals, Zuma, and that's going to be enough to build around next season to make a big push towards um, finishing in the top four or competing for top four. I think now it's about trying to develop the squad over the course of the next few windows around players that you know you're going to have for the long term, which uh, maybe is more looking at sort of Fornal, Zuma, Soufal. Um, I think Bowen will stick around for some time and, and saying, what what can we put around those players that can really protect us long term as a top eight competitive team? So rather than changing what we do, just supplementing it a little bit so we can be more progressive, maybe more closer to possession dominant rather than just a little bit comfortable with it. Um, you're kind of adding a couple of those in so that we can still be, when we need to be, we can be the stable back and we can counter and we can push, but trying to move that way. Yeah, so I, I mean, what I'm talking about is a lot of people on, 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 you know, if you spend a day on West Ham Twitter, there's a lot of people who want four or five really big signings to go into that first team. And I think more what you're looking at is one or two yeah. signings that can slot into the first team, maybe just one that can slot into the first team. And then um, if you can get someone like Lingard on a free, then maybe it's two, but but one big money signing that can go into the first team. And then a, a series of players that will um, decrease the, the, the age profile of the squad and, and give us a, a group of players players that can look to compete in that top half over a long period of time. I was uh, trying to avoid talking about January too much because I can imagine the fury, uh, the fury around it. I was, uh, I, I was thinking to myself, actually, we've been a little bit negative after finishing seventh and over good European run. I could, I could see people being annoyed. I can see people being really, really annoyed if I go to ask you now, which is the one player you'd buy and what, or, or what position you'd buy for and you don't mention replacing Aaron Cresswell. Now, I personally am not of, of that opinion, but I know there are those who are Obviously, furiously like that. Is it? Is it still left centre back first? For me, I think so. Yeah, but centre mid has slowly, over the course of the last few months, become more of a pressing concern. But I think we've said quite a lot of times over this podcast that progression starts from the back, and at the minute, is it's a real problem for us um, not having that sort of not only left footed but left footed progressive centre back, and also I think someone whether it's a left back or a left centre back that adds some recovery pace to the back line, just because I know that it, it, this, I, I'm not saying get rid of the sort of low block and counter tactic, but if, in terms of uh, tactical flexibility, it would be nice to at least have the option to play a higher line and press higher up. Um, one thing that I thought was really telling actually um, when I was looking at some of the numbers for this season 
So we're third lowest in terms of presses per defensive action, uh, joined with Norwich and Watford, which, I mean, we're a low block team, largely mid block sometimes. Well, mid block, low block team. So that's not that damning. But we actually rank last in terms of high turnovers in the whole league. Um, so even the Watfords and the Norwiches and stuff are winning the ball back so, uh, higher up the pitch more frequently than we are, um, which I think is an area of the game that when you've got someone like Rice in your team, who is an elite ball winner, um, and the players like Bowen and Antonio who can carry the ball and really damage, hit you on the counter, it's something that we really should be looking to exploit a lot more. Because if we win the ball in the middle of the park when the opposition team are trying to build up an attack and they've committed more players forward, if we can win that ball a little bit further up and then let in our wingers behind and then have the likes of Suchek, who's already in a slightly more advanced position just by the nature of us pressing higher up, he then can arrive in the box for these crosses. Whereas when we're low block, it's more difficult for Suchek to get into the box because one thing he doesn't have is pace. Mm. So for him to arrive in the box at the right time when you've got the likes of Bowen getting there way faster than him, it's a lot more difficult. So I think for me, I would look to bring in yeah defenders with a bit more pace that will allow us to play a more higher, more progressive line. We'll win the ball back higher up the pitch and then hopefully we'll be able to see us become even more threatening on the counter and have more opportunities to counter in the game. So what, uh, I'll kind of ask you both the same question and I'll let you riff however you please and you can you can do it quite limited. You can bat the way the question has been quite appalling if you want or you can go into it. Um, if you had a kind of summer roadmap you were looking at for what we're going to do or what you would want us to do, either, both of you, obviously, um, where's your kind of realistic middle ground approach? Yeah. Okay, well, I think I agree with Jack in the sense that I, I, for, I really don't agree with a lot of the people on Twitter who are saying we need seven or eight players. Um, sometimes it can be fun to say that anyway, just because it means you get to say how good eight players would be for West Ham, which I get is like it's fun to plot all these hundred and fifty million pound windows and all it's that probably craziness. more fun to have a, a transfer conversation where you plan to buy some yeah, players. Like, for sure, for sure. But I don't, I, don't think, I think one of our biggest strengths. Uh, since Moises arrived, uh, obviously the limited squad is limiting, but also it's the sort of camaraderie and the togetherness in the in the dressing room. Mm. If you bring in seven or eight players, that just goes like that. And that's not even factoring in that we've lost Noble. Mm. Fredericks might go, who, yeah, okay, he's not the greatest squad player, but one thing he does do is get on really well with all the players. And he's, yeah. not, he's not kicking up a fuss about being a spare part. Exactly, exactly. So if you bring in a squad player who is a squad player but isn't happy to be a squad player, then the whole the whole morale in the dressing room yeah. can take a real nosedive and then I think that bleeds onto the pitch and we start to see a bit of a dip. So I think, yeah, four or five um, players, I think, as well, we obviously need a keeper and we need an attacking mid. So I think what would be really good is if we can get Ariola back because he's already in the dressing room. So you don't have to worry about the impact he's going to have. If you can bring Lingard back, someone who's already been bled in, uh, like brought into the dressing room and proven that he gets on well with the team and Moyes likes him and he has a good relationship with him. That's two positions that you've bolstered and you're not really having to disrupt or worry about disrupting that dressing room. So then I think I'd be looking at a left back, uh, a left centre back, a centre mid and striker. Uh, with Lingard being able to play uh, like cover a left wing attacking mid and right wing um, really but in terms of names um, it'd be take forever to throw them all out there and we've got loads of content to come over the summer so I mean yeah in my in my head it's five or six a max. I mean six feels a shock it seems like a lot doesn't it it does and like yeah. I, it, it seems like a lot 
for David Moyes, it seems like a lot into that squad. And also it seems like a lot of turnover considering, but then we, we kind of, we have to do something with it. I mean, I think Yarmolenko is a character is by the sounds of things, his link with the young players has been really, really good. His, his experience in general, almost unmatched in our squad. And that's could be a slight problem for a team that many people say is already too naive. Jack, what about you? If you were, if you were doing a kind of brief summer roadmap, obviously, within that are you looking kind of same numbers same kind of areas very similar to Cal I think one of the big things that you want to look at before anything really is and we're not privy to these discussions but obviously the the club will have a better idea of where Angelo Ogbonna is at Mm -hmm. and I think that will that will make a big impact on 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 what happens um in terms of the back line um in the summer um the fact that we're looking at, um, well, there's been a lot of talk about Naya Fagard at the moment from Ren seems to suggest to me that Ogbonna, they're quite confident in Ogbonna, um, returning because you look at a Gerd as like a, a, an upgrade in that position where Ogbonna can then cover it and then Diop probably leaving the squad and Ogbonna and Dawson being the backup two and a Gerd and Zuma being the starting two. And that's much more of a, of a continuation of style, not much disruption to, to, to what the back line does. And you've got two really experienced heads behind the front two who know exactly how Moyes wants to, to, to play and who would be confident and comfortable enough playing in the FA Cup, League Cup, um, Europa Conference. So I can see how how that works. And then off the back of that, if you can manage to sort that position out without very much money, then potentially you can look at investing something behind the central midfielder or, or, or a striker to come in and, and learn off of Antonio over the course of the next year. Um, but it's 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 very difficult to say really for for all the reasons we've just talked about. It's very difficult because of the the overall flux in the dressing room. Or what I do think maybe slightly differently um, to 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 what we just spoke about is I think it is really important to to recruit some a couple at least of younger under twenty three players in this mm. window, and I think they potentially cause less disruption because of their youth. Um, and I think if you can get in a couple of fresh faces, like Keen Lewis Potter has been talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. He already knows Jared Bowen um, or uh, Adam Klozek has been talked about a lot. There's already a big contingent of Czech lads in, in the squad. Um, you know, finding a, a, a couple, one or two under 23 players who would have good links established or social networks that are easy to see within the pre-existing group would make a big difference I think to the squad going forward that's interesting because mm-hmm. it's it's one thing that's never ever I suppose discussed about Crow low impact obviously but he hasn't made a fuss reportedly yeah. so far there's nothing that suggests he's he's been a negative so they've obviously that's where that link to say closet would work or those players who actually you know, know a lot of people they're of an age where they understand they have to develop I think You've got to give Vlasic, I suppose, some credit for as well this year, who said he was happy even when he wasn't playing because he was developing. So, yeah, that's a lot There's of been a, a Croatian up. managers put a lot of pressure on him now this yeah. summer. And I think, yeah. you know, that's another thing. There's perhaps a couple of things that are slightly concerning is that you're looking at uh, Vlasic, who, who will definitely be thinking in his own mind, where do I go from here? You know, I've got a, a spot to keep in the Croatian national team as a real key player at international level. I think you're looking at Ben Rama as someone who struggled to break properly into the Algerian squad and will be saying, I, I really need to have a first 
um, team spot nailed down somewhere because I want to nail my international spot. That group, I, I think that's probably the, the social group I'm most concerned about going into the summer because it's a social group that's dominated by Issa Diop and Arthur Arthur Masuaku and we don't know whether Ariola's coming back and you're looking at that group and Ben Rama again someone who's not been playing they're a key uh, element of how the dressing room functions and it's important that that group is kept together in some way and is kept happy Um, Mm -hmm. and um, you know and that's something I think it's not really talked about you often look at these players and people who are scouting people on, on social media or whatever and this person would be a great fit but it's so important to look at the squad and say how is that person going to fit in exactly. character wise and who are their links going to be in the squad and uh, that's why I bring up Keen Lewis Potter and Klozek as players who are who are young um, but would have you know for example if they're not getting the minutes that they would like if they were then isolated and didn't have friends within within the group it's harder yeah, to yeah, keep them really happy yeah. um, but if Hlozek comes in and doesn't find himself in the first 11 straight away but has got um, a, a group of a network of people around him who who have a shared understanding because they've come from the same league and have similar experiences um, then it's a little bit easier to integrate them over time um, yeah. so I think that's a really important part of what we've got to address in the summer which kind of touches on the the bit with the kind of the, the French lads as they're always called, um, and kind of why the debates over Ariola and Pope. You can it's very difficult to define who you who a better goalkeeper is in some areas and what you're looking at. But what Pope will not have is a, a link to the squad where he's friends with kind of the French lads and gives those different social core groups. And it's obviously a nightmare to discuss. You kind of have to really guess and hope hypothetically because it's I don't know how clubs judge a character. So I don't know how. When you when you do your analytics, you can't really go in. Oh yeah, I've got my finishing. I've got the expected. Fr- I've got my expected friendship group. Yeah. <laughs> best, Those best intangibles. Me. They're yeah. back again. <laughs> great gift spreading. Great with memes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you you don't know. Maybe you should do office games suey at everyone, and he's just really well liked. I don't, I don't know. Suey. Yeah. <laughs> One question I did want to ask you very quickly, Jack, which I, I, I gave Cal no time to prepare for last week, and you might remember it or not. If you had one realistic player you could bring into West Ham as a transfer, and I, I believe, Cal, you went for Ruben Loftus-Cheek. <laughs> that was like my super realistic one, yeah. yeah. Just because his numbers match up, and I thought if we needed a different option uh, in terms of a progressive passer that can do a bit of a job in the final third as well, I, I think in terms of realistic, I don't know what sort of role he'll play at Chelsea, but I think he could come into the squad. By all accounts, from what I've read, he's a sterling guy to have in the dressing room, and I can see how he'd fit in. I can see Moyes getting a tune out of him, and I think he's also of the right age profile. So, but yeah, I, I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> you stick with it. It's fine. I, I, just giving you one, Jack. You have to take this and think all through your head about 5,200 players, but it's just off the top of your head. Off the top of my head, um, the two that I've been really keen on, plus maybe one. So the two that I've been really keen on for a long while now are Melvin Bard and Briel and Bolo, who I think are, are the right profile and, and would make a big um, difference to the squad. Potentially also uh, Adam Klozak in that conversation as well, who I think just would be sensible signings that would impact in the right departments uh, and um, are by all accounts, good um, players at the kind of level we need. Excellent. That's I love Bruno Bolo. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been a big big fan of his for a while uh, James Ward-Prowse always sticks my head I don't know if that's realistic though I can imagine Southampton wanting mm-hmm. silly money for a player um, I imagine Mbolo speaks French as well I think born in Cameroon and lives in Swiss I'd so. expect him to fit into that group quite yeah. well uh, there is one other that I, I think I'm going to look at who I just mentioned now because I'm going to write about um, uh, Truffert 
um, at Ren. I don't know how you say his name, but he's another one at Ren who's had a really strong season and potentially would be worth looking at um, in the summer. Excellent. Well, we will have, I mean, the boys will be back at some point. Uh, I mean, you two will be back at some point to do across the summer. You will have, by the end of it, at least, there'll be some transfer stuff because there always is with you two. Um, and I'm sure, <laughs> yes. keep it up with us. We are looking at uh, one pod a month and one Twitter space a month for yes. summer. Yes, yeah. So look out for that. And I'm sure we will uh, put those up ahead of time rather than just popping up. But you never know. Um, thank you for joining us this season. It's been fascinating um, to do brilliant to learn with hopefully we've uh kept you entertained we've got better as we've gone along um at least those two anyway <laughs> and <laughs> we look forward to genuinely look forward to seeing you uh next season and being back with you then any correspondence throughout the summer if you want to send i'm not promising you know it'll be a timely response some of these people who have lives um the two of them will be away doing things but if you want to get in touch all correspondence can be sent to of course as ever at kumb pod um until the sunny days of August. No, actually, no. We've got our summer pods, haven't we? Until yes. we see you again in the summer. Until next time. Goodbye. Right, so we're here in the offices of a late, late show with the host of a late, late show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> and big knees up, Mother Brown, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it, yeah. yeah. It's great. Yes, it's Find excitement them. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at KUMB.com. Come on you irons.